welcome have a seat great to have you and uh hope you learned something about yourself in that little exercise sometimes it is pretty tough to handle we are in a series called moving mountains and today if you got your bible with you i want you to be ready to break it open we're going to be in the psalms today we're in this series moving mountains prayers that change everything how many of you really truly believe that prayer changes things some of you do, but I think there, there are some times when we really believe, you know, some of this stuff is left up to us. Some of these things that we're going to get through, I mean, it's a matter of us sucking it up, and we've got to bootstrap this thing a little bit. The reality is, is that God gives us, over and over again, a very clear vision in the Scriptures that the grace of God that we just sang about that is enough is that God has the power to do in and through us things that we can't do ourselves. One of the things that I'm, I've, I've just been wrestling with in a big way, I'm finishing up my final edits on the seven resolutions where self-help ends and God's power begins. It's a book that I'm writing with Moody Publishers. It's going to be coming out uh, in the first day of next year, January 1. And I'm really excited about this because it deals with this whole emphasis of a Christian world that seems to try to bootstrap our spiritual growth when God says it's all about living in his power and strength. And this is one of the greatest threats and dangers that I have in my own personal life is that I can be radically transformed by Jesus and then find myself trying to work out my salvation in my own strength. And one of the great things that I've been wrestling with here in the last couple of weeks, even out loud with you, is that the very blessings that we have in this country and a lot of the, quote, self-actualizations work against us because we start thinking, I've got this, when the God who knit us together in our mother's womb says, let me flex my power and strength in your life. Prayers change everything. They really can. My bride and I and our two kids went to Puerto Vallarta on a trip one beautiful weekend. When we got to Puerto Vallarta, we actually took a small boat to a popular island. It was beautiful, real popular island. There were probably 100 or so folks spread out across this little neck of the beach. The beach was super steep. It was really steep. And waves were big, and they were timed perfectly. And let me tell you what they were timed for. They were timed for every time a person tried to get up out of the water in Puerto Vallarta, that next wave would come, boom, knock them down. And it became humorous. We're sitting there with the four of us, got the blanket spread out, got the tent going, and here comes a wave on a young couple that just sauntered out into the ocean. Bam! It took them both down. They both simultaneously got up together about the time they got up on that steep beach. Bam! Another huge wave. Just knock them down. Pretty quick up and down the beach. You see people just chuckling away. Ha, 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 ha. This is, and we're looking, and my son's going, check this out. This couple's having a hard time. They can't get out of the surf. They'd start to get up again. He would help his wife up. Bam! They'd get nailed. Now it's getting dangerous because my wife says to me, bub, Parts of their swimwear are getting torn off by this wave action that they're in. So all the men are looking away and women are running down to them trying to help this poor woman and her husband out get out of the waves, but they just kept beating them up. I want to tell you, watching that couple and understanding the frustration that they had is just a small example of the frustration that we have when wave after wave of injustice comes into our life. 
when there is a world of unjust activities, some of you in this room have suffered at the hands of racism, and it's been real. Some of you in this room have suffered at the hands of sexism, and it's real. Many of you in this room, if not all of you, have gone through the injustice of a betrayal from a friend, maybe from a group of friends. You see, injustice is like the waves in Puerto Vallarta. It hits you, and it hits you, and it hits you. It feels like just when injustice comes, another wave is right behind it. Injustice is the violation of right or of the rights of another. And this morning, I want to give you four responses to injustice that we commonly have, or three that we commonly have, one that is very uncommon but will set us free. The first is taking justice into our hands. Taking justice into our hands. In Romans 12 and also in Hebrews 12, we're warned in the scriptures, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I think many of us in this room that were raised in a church or know something about the word of God know that the beautiful thing about the Christian life is that we're called not to be people who are bound by getting back at someone, but we're called to be people who are so flooded with God's grace and power and so trusting Him. That's a big train out there. <laughs> that we are so committed to living irrigated with God's power and strength that when we read a passage like Romans 12, 19, or in Hebrews 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We say, I get that. I understand that. We understand the need not to pay evil for evil. So taking justice into our hands is one response that will not work. Let me give you another one, and that is diminishing the impact of injustice. You know, there's a fake spirituality out there it's a fake Christianity. It's that somehow I'm more righteous if I diminished what's happened to me. I love what Paul says in Psalm 69, 25, 29. He says, I am afflicted and in pain. And here we find by King David the statement of the pain that he endured because he was being so unjustly treated. And he said, I am afflicted and in pain. You know, I want to tell you one of the greatest mistakes I've ever made in my life is misconstruing the promise of abundant life for the fallacy of thinking that I needed to be happy and joyful at all times. One of the greatest revelations God ever gave me was the understanding that if I've gone through pain, own it, understand it. I love what David says. He says to God, and it's in print, right in the inspired word of God, he says, I am afflicted and I am in pain. I was in counseling a number of years ago with a really godly man. He was just a great biblical counselor, and he told me one day, he said, how are you doing, Carl? And I said to him, I'm doing great. Everything's great. And he said, no, you're not. I said, well, what do you mean, no, I'm not? He says, there's no way you've gone through what you've just gone through and that Carl is doing okay. There is no possible way that is true. He said, okay, well, well, what do you think I should do? 
He said, I want you to go to this little meeting tonight. And some of you know what I'm about to share. He said, I want you to go to this meeting tonight with a group of men, and I want you to pour your heart out about what you've gone through. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to one of these meetings. And he said, we're going to go to this meeting, and when you get there, Carl, you need to know something. There's going to be something called a feeling wheel in the center of this room with these guys sitting around it. And I'm like, hey, hey, I ain't going to a room with a feeling wheel in the center of this thing. He said, no, I want you to go. And I went. You guys are going around, and these are men's men, and they're talking about their feelings and what's going on. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And this guy right next to me is big old hunk of burning love dude, man's man. And he grabs that rock, and he says, this is what I'm feeling. And he grabs a rock that we were supposed to put on the feeling wheel, and he reached out to the little square called Sad, and he said, I'm sad. And he began to cry, and I'm like, oh, no came to me and all of a sudden the floodgates opened up I said I'm mad I put that rock down on that square and I just cried like a baby would you believe it was one of the most freeing exercises I've ever had in my life not because I got in touch with that, but because I was so honest with God about an injustice in my life that that gave room for the power of God to heal. Some of you are not being healed because you are diminishing the impact of injustice in your life. No, we're not supposed to take justice into our hands. And no, we're not to diminish the impact of justice either. Injustice is hard. And I think one of the greatest ways to get past it in a healthy way is to own it, and I mean fully. A third response to injustice is this, allowing injustice to boil inside us. But let me say this to you, bitterness is unable to enact justice. It can only destroy the one who holds it. I know we've given you limited options in the church, and I just want to make a connection here because I've had a huge, huge epiphany meeting with God this week around this passage of scripture that I'm about to get into. I hadn't planned to say this here, but let me give it to you. We've given you generally three options inside the church, and all of them are woefully lacking. We have said, don't take justice into your own hands. We've said, um, go ahead and kind of, well, it's okay. God's good. The tomb's empty. You're supposed to have abundant life, don't you know? And we force people to diminish the reality of injustice. And then we force them to just let this injustice boil inside. And if you're really honest with injustice that you've ever felt before, you're like, what do I do with this, Carl? Where do I go with this? How do I handle this? It's happening at work. It's happening in my family. It's happening who knows where. I know that in this room, there's someone or a few of you that have gone through date rape. Someone in this room has gone through something horrific with regard to a parent's horrible, reckless words that destroyed your soul as a young boy or a young girl. A reckless child in your youth that went exploring where they never should have gone. You weren't the right color for a couple of people that were talking about you behind your back, but you heard every word. The list goes on and on. Injustice is real. 
But in the church, we've said, don't take it into your hands. We've actually quite encouraged, well, let's diminish it. Don't you know God's alive? Well, you've been given such a great salvation. Carl, don't be mad. Our God is on the throne. What does all that mean? It's empty. Empty spiritual carbs when God has so much more. See, allowing injustice to boil in us isn't going to work. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Great. So we're not to be bitter, we can't diminish it, and we can't go get these guys back for what they did. Great. What do we do? I'm glad you asked. Because this morning I am proposing a brand new way, and for some of you, this will be brand new. I propose confronting injustice with prayer. An imprecatory prayer. Some of you maybe don't know the word imprecatory. It means to call down, actually, a curse on someone. You might be saying, whoa, what are we doing here? Hold on. We're going to get a beautiful description out of Psalm 35 here in just a moment, not yet. We're going to get a beautiful description of what in the world an imprecatory prayer is. But confronting injustice with prayer is powerful, and let me give you three takeaways for an imprecatory prayer. It's an appeal to a court of divine justice. It's for protection. It's the appropriate consequence for offenses. And let, let me give you one that I really want to drive home. It's aimed at full restoration. Now, I want to stop here and say this, that if you head into an imprecatory prayer for an injustice that you've had in your life, and your attitude is, God, get those son of a guns. We've got a problem. But you might be saying, oh, Carl, I can't have any emotion. No, I think you're going to see as we listen to this prayer, massive amounts of emotion but almost a holy awe that, God, you're going to go deal with this. But it's taking it out of the soul that's just churning and boiling, and it's not diminishing it. It's bringing it up to the level that it really exists. But it's not taking it into our own hands. It's letting God be God. I wrestled with the the rightness or how biblical it is to pray in precatory prayers. And I want to be fair with you today to say that there are some, I think there's less or so, but there are some in the evangelical community, even a couple of pretty good theologians, that think that we should not at all look at Psalm 35 and apply it to our lives today. I disagree. And so does Dr. John Tweeddale, one of the greatest Hebrew minds, and this is just a piece of what he said in a long blog post. Listen to what he said. To pray the imprecatory psalms is ultimately to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. As Christians, we long for God's kingdom to come. We yearn for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen. Praying the imprecatory psalms is not a call to arms, but a call to faith. We lift our voices, not our swords. 
You see, there's a fourth way. And I never knew that this was okay. You know, I'm blown away by this because I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I've never in my life preached a message on how joyful it is to pray an imprecatory prayer on those that have inflicted injustice in your life. But today, some of you are going to be freed. You're going to be freed from being told you can't go get them back. You wait for God. You're going to be freed from the fact that somebody told you, oh, that's just a flesh wound. You're going to be freed from that boiling rage and discontent inside you wondering, what do I do with the injustice that I feel in my soul? And God's got an answer. This morning, I want us praying in the face of injustice. So if you've got a Bible, great, but it's going to be on the screen. And if you're with us at home, it's going to be on the screen as well. Psalm 35 is the text that we're in. And you know how much we're going to read of Psalm 35? The whole enchilada. So I'm going to read, you follow along. Look at this psalm. By the way, this thing is couched probably in the time when Saul was now chasing David, and David's like, what in the world is going on? As you're going to see later on in the psalm, he says, I would have never done this to this guy. Why does he treat me like this? He's running for his life. That's probably the time and space that this psalm was written. Psalm 35. I'm going to start reading. You follow along. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler. I'm not going to explain a lot in this text, but a shield, uh, the shield spoken of here was probably about a four-foot-tall shield, five-foot-tall shield, one that you could get down behind. That's, that's the way they used it. But then the buckler is a very small shield, one that would be for hand-to-hand combat. So take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Isn't this cool that David talks to God like he's a friend? Hey, grab a shield and and grab a big one and a small one, God. And would you go open a can on these guys? That's what he's about to say. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. I'm not going to talk a lot about this. I'm going to wait for the points that we get to, but this is precious, isn't it? He's saying, oh, David, would you run and defend me? And oh, by the way, would you speak to my soul, I am your salvation? Because my soul needs to hear that. Wow. Verse 4, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. What? Yep. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Look at that imagery, man. Yeah, Cleo, you can amen it all day long, sister. For without cause they hid their net for me, and without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let me say something right here. David is not saying that he is perfectly righteous. He's saying there was not not enough cause to warrant how Saul was treating him. That's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. You got to remember this. This is not about if you're claiming moral high ground that somehow you're better than, you better fall to your knees and let God look at your heart. This is not a matter of who's righteous and who's not. It's a matter of the situation at hand doesn't warrant this kind of injustice. Verse 8. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. <laughs> oh, man. And let the net that, had, that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is strong for him, too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up, ask me of things that I do not know. Can I explain to you right here what's going on? David is saying it's not just Saul, it's all of those that are coming around him to try to take me down. So people have now sided with Saul that know nothing of the situation, but they're casting aspersions at David, and he's like, they're ganging up on me. Verse 12, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me, wretches whom I did not know, tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. Carl, can we pray like this? Yes, you may. My precious life from the lions. Verse 18, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink an eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice in my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Last verse. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. What a passage. I want to give you six ways to pray in the face of injustice. 
Six ways. Right out of this text. The first is ask God to defend and comfort you. David said, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of my shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. I want to read you a short excerpt from my book that I think captures this and you get a piece of my heart on a betrayal that I went through that was significant. This is what I write. I was once betrayed by a few friends. Some have asked for forgiveness, but none of them will know how much I had to cling to the truth of God's word to keep myself from falling. While the storm of betrayal was raging and knives were still in my back, God spoke into my heart with his word or I'd have lost my mind. I've wondered at times how many people are in institutions for having, quote, lost their mind who simply had no place to put the grievous injury of their childhood and youth. I wonder. Comfort comes from God. You might say, uh, Pastor Carl, aren't you being a little hyperbolic to say you would have lost your mind? No, I'm not. My bride would attest to this. One afternoon, I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going crazy. I feel like everything that is right is wrong and what is up is down and it makes no sense to me, baby. But it was one of those times that God used my bride to take me not just to my knees before the Lord, but then to open the word of God and to see his comfort still. I don't even know the verses that we were in. I just know that the comfort was real. Just real. How to pray in the face of injustice. Secondly, ask God to trap them in their own schemes. You say, Pastor Carl, can I do that? Oh, you betcha. This is a fun way to pray. Verse 8 says, Let destruction come upon them when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him, let him fall into it to his destruction. You know the Proverbs 26, 27 says this, He who digs a pit will fall into it. Do you know that it's okay to say, God, this injustice that's been meted out to me, and we'll explain here in a moment where all this is headed, where all these prayers are headed, because it's merciful. Isn't it awesome to be able to say to God, God, he who digs his pit, they're going to fall into it, and I don't ask you to injure them in any way. I don't ask you to injure them. I don't ask you to do something harmful to them. I'm asking you to let them feel what they wanted me to feel. Luis Palau is one of the greatest evangelists that has ever lived on this planet. He's a dear friend of mine. I say he's a dear friend of mine because although he's passed on from this life, he's gone on to his rewarding, he's in the cloud of witnesses, and he's still a friend of mine. Never have a friend who's gone on to be with the Lord who say, he was a friend of mine, he's still a friend of yours. Got to get our theology straight here, people. 
So Luis Palau is a dear friend. In the middle of this betrayal, sharing some really personal stuff here that's going out on air, I had a man try to take me down by reaching out to some people that would be strategic in taking me down. One of them was Luis Palau. A friend got in touch with me and said, you may want to call Luis. Before I could even reach out to him, Luis Palau called me. Carl, how are you doing, Carl? Remember when we met? We spoke back at that alumni event in Portland, Oregon. I said, I remember, Luis, I can't believe you remember me. Oh, I remember you, that fiery redhead and the personality to go with it. We talked. And he said to me some of the sweetest words I've ever heard. He said, I got a phone call from a man who was really derisive about you. But you need to know that I have good friends in high places that know your character. And I don't believe a word of it. And I've got your back. Don't you worry about a thing. Somebody who betrayed me tried to set a trap. Little did he know, if he hadn't made that phone call to Luis, he'd have been better off in that very circle that he ran in if he would have just kept his mouth shut. Third thing, ask God to see any relational iniquity. This is very important because some of your betrayals come at the hands of people who you have no relationship with. Sometimes betrayal, and this is very important, comes from people that you do have relationship with. This is why I ask God to see, for him to see any relational inequality. If we look at verses 12 and 13, let me just read these quickly. I don't want to get too bogged down here. And listen to what he says. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth and I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bound on my chest. What's going on, God? Let me say this about betrayal. The injustice of betrayal is only betrayal because what happened to you took a piece of your heart when they left. One of the greatest betrayals you can have is from family and friends because they've captured a part of your heart and soul and so when they betray you, it hurts so much more than just a man on the street who says, you're a fill in the blank. It hurts so much more than even an employer who, who says something to you. But when a family member, a friend, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend that you've had for years turns their back on you and tries to put a knife in your back. Oh, baby, it hurts. Fourth, ask God to shut the scoffing mouths. Shutting the mouths of the scoffer is all over Scripture. In verse 21, it says this, They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha, our eyes have seen it. Let me tell you what I've learned. We found it in Matthew 5, 16. We find it over and over again in the New Testament. I want you to be very clear on this one. How does God shut scoffing mouths? How does that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. He fuels you by his grace 
to go live in his power. And in spite of the injustice, God wants to put you on a great offensive posture. He wants to give you great success so that all that can be said of you is not that you've been kicked in the teeth and aha, aha, look at him, look at her. You can tell the curses on them. No, the way God shuts the mouth of scoffers is by you abiding in the presence of God and bearing such fruit that your life is undeniably connected to God. That's how we shut the mouths of scoffers. I've tried other ways. I've tried to say, we gotta, we got to shut them down. we got to send a letter. we got to send a cease and desist. Those never work. What works is, oh God, let my light so shine before men that they may see my good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven and might I add, and that you would shut the mouth of the scoffer. There's freedom here, isn't there, Cleo? There's real freedom in praying in the face of injustice. The fifth one, ask God to bring shame on their injustice. You say, what? Now, can we do that, Pastor? I'm going to explain why here in just a moment. Let them be put to shame, David said, disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. How in the world can pray and shame be right, you might ask. You should ask. How in the world can this be? And this is what I want to be very clear on. Because shame is the greatest means by way we become broken. And broken people are positioned for God's grace. Jesus went to a hillside and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know who is blessed in God's economy? Those that are spiritually bankrupt and have come to the end of themselves. Let me tell you what I've done. I have taken the counsel of a friend who took me to a passage very similar to this, and I, be, and I began to pray. I, I began to pray, Oh God, trap them in their stuff. And, oh, God, bring the shame that they wanted on me back onto them. But I can honestly tell you I've done it with an absolute heart that wants for them what from one man I received. I was begging God one day, God, please break these guys. Because I told Jubes one day, that's what I call my bride, Jubes. I said, Jubes, if these few guys that had so betrayed us would understand how easy it is to get back with us just by owning it and asking for forgiveness I'm like man I'd be there I prayed one day I get this call from a third party that we had arranged and he said I got a call from a man from your past he gave me the name I said whew What's he want? He said he means business. He got on the phone with me, with the third party, and this is what this man said. 
I have felt so ashamed of what I did to you, Carl. Would you please forgive me? I said to him, my friend, there's probably no chance we will ever minister together again in this side of heaven. But I absolutely forgive you. And can I tell you something, guys? I'm helping him right now with a book that he's working on, and it's almost a miracle from God that we can get on the phone and have a civil conversation. But they're more than civil. They're sweetened by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've prayed shame on others for repentance sake and I asked a close friend and counselor one time I said what's going on what's going to happen he said people go one of two ways and he says you find this over and over in scripture they'll either get more hardened or they will become totally broken one of the two well the sixth one is so sweet Tell God you will praise him for his justice and then sing your hearts out. Verse 28, Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. I was driving to the radio station. That's when this thing went off. And having heard that from my old colleague and just being overwhelmed with God's presence it was amazing and I just began to cry and weep and weep and weep and I found this to be true that there is power and release for any injustice when you just cry out a praise to God and say we give you praise you're worthy of it two quick notes that I want to give you here before we get out today and we're going to pray this through in just a moment First, the posture of prayer in the face of injustice has to be this. If we could pop it up there, guys. Praying with love and introspection invites God's blessing and holds the greatest hope for true reconciliation. I need you to hear me. Praying with love and introspection in your own life invites God's blessing and holds the greatest hope for true reconciliation reconciliation another note that isn't up here that my bride and I talked about I just want to give you this before we pray for a moment we may not get justice on earth but I need you to hear me justice will ultimately prevail it will it will prevail I want you to bow your heads with me and we are going to pray here just quietly very quickly but powerfully praying in the face of injustice I want you to think about the injustice that you've gone through or are going through right now think about this very clearly just grasp it in your heart just get it in your heart right now and I want you to ask God to defend and comfort you in this moment right now ask God to defend and comfort you I want you to do something really righteous right now and ask God to trap those who are scheming against you in their own schemes in mercy. But just say that. 
God, the schemes that have been brought against me, maybe even as a child, maybe it's been many years, maybe it's at work right now, God, let them get caught in their own schemes. Catch them in the net. And then do this. Ask God to see any relational inequality. Were you good to a person and all you got was nothing back? Are they going around town talking about you? Are they trying to minimize you? Are they trying to criticize you? Ask God to shut the scoffing mouths somehow, some way. And then do this. Ask God to bring shame on their injustice. Not to shame them, but to break them. It's a powerful thing to pray. And why don't you tell God, we will praise you today for your justice.